This is ESPN New York Tonight with Larry Hardesty and Gordon Damer on 98.7 ESPN. Yankees about to get underway in about, oh, 10 minutes or so. In St. Louis at Bush Stadium, Michael Kay and John Flaherty on the call there. And uh, the Mets, uh, Tyron Walker looking like looking like a, a fighter that doesn't know what happened. One, two, and he was down. He's out. Atlanta up 8 nothing as the Mets come to bat. Now, it's funny that I saw this today because, as we talk about the NBA, because Gordon asked me this question last night, and he asked me, did I think, really, he's saying by the time he returns to work, which will be in a couple of weeks, so by, by near the end of August, would Donovan Mitchell finally be a Nick? Because you've seen the different articles, right? The Jazz aren't talking. The Knicks aren't talking. And I like how the Knicks have handled this so far. Okay, they've asked for, I mean, the Jazz asked for, and that's their job. Okay, that's what Danny Ainge does. That's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to ask for the moon, and then you back your ask down. You know, you you make adjustments to it. You say, okay, well, you know what? Well, okay, we'll we'll take this player out if you give us this player. So you make adjustments to your original move, right? That's what you do. And the, the original deal, I thought when I heard it, and this is no disrespect to Donovan Mitchell, who's an extremely talented player, but I thought they were trying to get Kevin Durant or maybe LeBron. I mean, you were talking five players and like four or five number one picks, most of them most of them unprotected. So I'm like, what are you talking about? So according to the New York Post, which also quote Hoops Hypes Michael Scotto, here was a trade. Now tell me if you like this. Give me your thoughts at 1-800-919-3776. Lakers, Knicks, and Jazz, according to the article, had talks about a three-team trade that would have featured Donovan Mitchell coming to the Knicks and Russell Westbrook leaving L.A. So here's the deal, and, and I know why this didn't happen already. Here's the deal. In the proposed trade, Lakers would have sent Russell Westbrook to Utah where he would be bought out of his contract. Jazz would have then sent Donovan Mitchell to the Knicks as well as a trade package that included two of the following players to L.A. Patrick Beverly, Jordan Clarkson, Bojan Bogdanovic, and Malik Beasley. Okay, they were going to L.A. In return, the Jazz were in line to get a bunch of picks from the Knicks and the Lakers. All right, so now the question, according to the article, once again becomes who were the Knicks going to send to the Lakers if the deal materialized, if they did. Now, the Knicks know that the Lakers love Cam Reddish, and they attempted to acquire him last year in a three-team trade with the Knicks and Raptors, but it didn't work. And, of course, the Knicks would have been trying to unload you know, one of their veterans to make salary space like a Derrick Rose whom I'm sure Tom Thibodeau would have laid down in front of the door and say, no, you can't. <laughs> no, not Derrick Rose. No, 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 you can't let him go. No, I'm not letting him go. No, no, no. 
He'd have held on to uh, Derrick Rose's leg like Van Gundy held on to Alonzo Mourning's leg. <laughs> or Larry Johnson's leg, wherever it was at the time. I don't even remember now. Okay, so it would have been it would have been a situation like that. It is it is just it is just amazing. Okay, it's just amazing what Danny Ainge has been able to do. Okay. Uh by making deals that are just so apparently one-sided, right? They're one-sided. I mean, listen, they got four future first-round picks from Minnesota, as well as a 2022 first-round pick, which turned out to be Walker Kessler, for Rudy Gobert. And and so, listen, what that does is that resets the whole thing. That resets everything. So now, if you're, you know, if if, if you're Utah, if you're Danny Ainge, you're like, well, I've set the standard. This is what I want. Because, in theory, Donovan Mitchell, younger, better than Rudy Gobert. So if I got four future first-round picks, and won this year five first-round picks, then, you know, I should get at least that for Donovan Mitchell, maybe more. I'm trying to figure out, okay, so if Russell Westbrook is bought out by Utah, that means he can make his own deal. Where does he end up? I, I just, I'm just, I'm not sure about this. This is, this is crazy. This is crazy. So I'm going to ask you guys. Do you think Donovan Mitchell will end up being a Nick? 1-800-919-3776. Also via Twitter, at Hardesty ESPN, at ESPN NY, 98 underscore 7FM. I still think he will, but I don't think this deal will be done anytime soon. And you still have time. I mean, NBA doesn't go to camp until, what, three, three four weeks? Early, mid, mid-September? With the season scheduled to start late October. So I, I, you still have time to make this deal. And once again, I'll say it. I love how the Knicks have handled it so far. And they have to be ready to go forward and say, okay, guess what? If we don't have him, this is, this is what we're going to do. We got Jalen Brunson. We have our point guard. We'll figure out what we're going to do with the two. Are you going to play... Julius Randle, not Julius Randle, I'm sorry. Are you going to play R.J. Barrett at the two or are you going to play R.J. Barrett at the three? And then I had a conversation with the great Bill Daughtry a couple of days ago. And he floated the idea of, could you put Obi Toppin at the three? Because of his athleticism, because of the fact that he has gotten better as a shooter, not only from three, but from two, you know his his athleticism as far as getting up and down the court on the break. He's demonstrated that. Defense might need a bit more improvement, which would also help him get some more playing time from Tom Thibodeau. And I think, you know, some other folks have mentioned it here. I think it was Buddha who mentioned that the Knicks may have to start looking at putting Randall at the five against some teams. When then you could also put Toppin at his more natural position at the four. And the other question is, 
if they don't move Cam, Cam Reddish, are they going to play him this year? I mean, I thought that he gave a solid effort for Atlanta. He did not do much against the Knicks, but the next opponent in the next round they faced, he was more prominent. He gave them some meaningful minutes off the bench. But clearly they let him go because he wasn't following what he was supposed to do or whatever the situation was. I mean, you know, they let him go. And I thought that he would be a guy that would, you know, have some, be able to give you some minutes when he got to the Knicks. A little better shooter than I thought Obi Toppin was when he came. But he got hurt, and then he was—he didn't play a lot, and then he got hurt, and defensively he was lost on some plays, and you know what happens. Young players lost defensively means bench time from Tom Thibodeau. And listen, I got it. If, if, if Maybe rightfully so. If he's not doing what you expect him to do or what you want him to do, you have to let him know, hey, that's not acceptable. You got to do a little bit better than that. But I didn't see any reward. <laughs> I didn't see him get more playing time for hard work. I didn't. 1-800-919-3776. Your thoughts on the Knicks and what will Donovan Mitchell be a Nick? Hmm. That's next on 98.7 ESPN. Yankees about to get underway. Mets on the scoreboard. It's now 8-1. Some people thought that there wouldn't be a run scored there. JP smiling a little bit. Then I must smile about the EJP. I understand. I'm just smiling to stop from uh, crying, Larry. <laughs> it's one of those nights. It is. Dakota Hudson on the mound for the Cardinals. He will face Nestor Cortez. It's always interesting when. Uh, you face a team that you don't normally see a lot of. So that's, it's, it's just, and once again, it's a St. Louis Cardinals team that is, I mean, they're always good. They're, they're always, they're, when you talk about sustainable success in baseball, you talk about the Cardinals. Yeah, sustainable success. They're always around. You look near the end, they, they, they're in the shed. They may not get to the, to the postseason every year, but they're right there. They're right there. They always find a way to make a move. And they just, <laughs> they're right there. So this is going to be a good test for the Yankees over this weekend as they uh, try their best to keep a little distance between them and the Houston Astros because right now it's all about October, right? It's all about preparing to make sure that if you are in the lead in your division, you want to win your division. You don't want to be traveling for a wild card game. You want to host a wild card game. All right, you want to you want to have a bye, chill out and relax. Wait, the other two guys, you know, fight it out, and you you face the winner. That's what you want. You want to just relax. So that's what both the Mets and Yankees are trying to do here. A little different, more difficult for the Mets because Atlanta is just hanging around, as they will, as they will, and for both teams. The Mets have not hit two batters in this game. It's so weird to see them hit batters. Normally, it's the Mets getting hit. It, it is so weird uh, to see 
in in this in this game, all the issues that you have from Tyrone Walker, right? He has been the guy that's been, I mean, almost lights out this season. And you were you wonder about you know it's the second half. He had issues last year. I mean, his last start he was great. Just didn't have it tonight. It happens. It does happen. And what's also so tricky is once again it's a five game series. I mean. When's the last time you used to sweep a five-game series? That's tough. Especially with a split doubleheader tomorrow. Yikes. <laughs> Yikes. That's a tough one, right? That's a tough one. If you can sweep it, you're in good shape. But if you could sweep, if you could sweep a day-night doubleheader, ooh. In a five-game series, that, that's that's huge. That's huge. Neil's in the Bronx. What's up, Neil? Hey, what's up? Good evening. Thanks for taking my call. I want to throw a couple of things at you, and I just want to see if you agree or disagree on what you think an ace should be, because I'm getting tired of this Garrett Cole still being labeled to be an ace. I mean, he's an ace for the Yankees, but his last five performances, he was no ace. So, well, number one. Okay, so number one. Mm-hmm. An ace should always give you seven innings, no matter what. All right, number two, within those seven innings, an ace should keep you with two runs or lower. And three, an ace has to be a junkyard dog. I mean, he has to have teeth in his mouth ready to tear things apart. And let me explain something what I mean about the junkyard dog. In 2014, Bob Gardner in the World Series, game seven, he came in the fifth inning and finished off the game. That's the junkyard dog. He saw the meat in front of him, and he went and he ate it. Another junkyard dog was last night Diaz with the six-out save. When he got the last out, what did he do? He stopped first base for an out. Now, you give me your definition of what you think an ace is. Well, say this, Neil. Thanks for the phone call. Um, the ace, An ace is supposed to be able – to keep you in games. So you and I agree with that. About two runs or less, yes. Uh, sometimes aces don't have it. <laughs> I don't care how good they are, how good they're supposed to be. There's a, there's sometimes that they just don't have it. I will say to you that the way Garrett Cole has pitched, he has not pitched like the ace he was in Houston. I give you that. The Garrett Cole that you're seeing is not the Garrett Cole that you expected to see because of his dominance when he was in Houston. The other thing that has really kind of surprised me about Garrett Cole is he gives up a lot of home runs. Okay, he does. Uh, sometimes solo, which you expect because he's a he's a pitcher that has a live arm, fastball, high 90s, high 90s low 100s. And he's always around the plate. So every once in a while, a mislocation of that speed, the batter just has to put the bat on the ball and make connection. And, you know, the pitcher's done most of the work as far as the velocity is concerned. Okay, so you talk about exit velo. If he's throwing at 100, you make contact. It's going out 100, 405. Easy. You don't have to do a lot of work. <laughs> All right? So that's been my that's been my biggest surprise from what I've seen from – Garrett Cole. Uh, I would agree with you pretty much what you had to say. And I do think that Cole is a guy that can be that junkyard dog that you talk about. He's a guy that loves competition. He's a guy that loves to challenge hitters. 
So I think he's that guy. He has not been the consistent. He's not been the consistent ace that lead, that gives up two runs or less. I don't know that that is a fair statement for an ace to do that consistently. But I do think you should expect that most of the time. That I would agree with. I would agree with that. And he's not been that. But he's still the Yankee ace. And his responsibility as the best pitcher on that team, as a starter, is to work and do better. But once again, it's really all about what he does in October. He can struggle. He can find himself. Okay? On a on a hot day in August. <laughs> All right. Is is you know that he's not getting it done. He gives up six runs in the first inning. Is it a concern? Sure it is. Absolutely. But ultimately, Garrett Cole is going to be judged by how he pitches in the postseason. That's when you want to see the junkyard dog. That's when you want to see two runs or less. That's when you want to see a guy let it out. That's when you want to see a guy to say, no, you can't take the ball from me. I'm going to finish this. That's when you're going to see a guy to say, I'll go eight innings if necessary. No, I'll go nine. You can warm guys up in the bullpen, but I'm ready to go. So if I were a Yankee fan, which I'm not, but if I were a Yankee fan, that's when I want to see Garrett Cole give me that type of performance. Now, of course, I don't want to see him give up all these home runs against Seattle on a great day in August. Of course not. No, that's not what I'm looking for. But ultimately, who cares? Doesn't matter. Because if he were the example of an ace that you have illustrated very well, and gave up six runs in the first inning in the postseason, you'd be calling me saying he's not an ace. <laughs> because an ace wouldn't give up six runs in the first inning in the postseason game. It's all about when you perform your best. I'm telling you, my friend, that's what it is. It's when you do it. And that's how he's going to be judged. He was brought here to be the final piece to your pitching staff. He was brought here to be the guy that could put the team on his shoulder in the postseason and help you win a World Series. Now, granted, he's not done that. And granted, last season, he was awful in Fenway in the postseason. Awful. Awful. And that's what you remember. And even if he had a lights-out season, you would say, hey, what a great season he had. Let's see what he's going to do in the playoffs. Because that's, that's the most important part. That's where you're judged, right? That's when you want to see the cream shine. That's when your best has to perform. I mean, listen, everybody loves Aaron Judge. Everybody's respectful for what he's done. He's had an unbelievable season. Aaron Judge has been great. But in the postseason, if he should not produce, a lot of you are going to say, well, you know, yeah, he had a great regular season, but 
what good does that do me in the postseason? I needed him to show up then. 1-800-919-3776. We'll continue the conversation next on 98.7 ESPN. Yankees jump off to a one nothing lead as the Cardinals bat in the bottom of the first. Josh Donaldson with an RBI. I said Josh Donaldson <laughs> with an RBI. He is a guy who... Has had a really disappointing season. He's done well defensively. He's been okay. He's made a couple of bad plays. But he's been pretty much okay defensively. But you brought him here. Here's why you brought him here. You brought him here for his ability to hit. And you brought him here for his hard-nosed play. Hard-nosed style of play. And because he hasn't really hit, you haven't seen that hard-nosed style of play from Josh Donaldson. And... We all understand that Yankee fans are looking for another Joey Gallo. And it could be Josh Donaldson. If he doesn't go on a hitting streak. I think he's due. I think he's due to go on a nice little tear where he's going to, his OPS is going to be a little higher than what it's been so far. And that will be a welcome sight in this Yankee lineup. Because even with, even with Benintendi, the bottom part of this order has not produced. Okay? And, and that's what you that's what you sorely need. Seven, eight, nine to get to get something going. I mean, you know, Judge has done a has done an unbelievable job. Clearly you miss Giancarlo Stanton, and you can't wait for him to get back. Just the threat of him in the lineup for protection has been amazing. So you definitely want to get him back. But that Yankee lineup is suffering at the bottom of the order. And so for you to for you to reach the goals that you want, for you to be ready to to have big time offense in the postseason, where you're gonna need to have you're gonna need the long ball and the combination of having guys to make contact and get in runs with less than two out of third, all the little things, you're going to have to do that. It's going to be a mixture. It can't just be all home runs, and it can't just be no home runs. You've got to have a combination of them. And for you to do that against elite pitching that you're going to face, it's very simple. You need the bottom of your order to be completely. They've got to be better than what they've been. Now, listen, uh, you've got some surprises all right, you've had some guys at the bottom of the order play well that you didn't expect. But for the most part, consistently, it's not been. Now, once again, I understand that what the Yankees have decided to do, and they're not wrong for that, is to improve themselves defensively. And that is the right play. But you can't do it at, at the sacrifice, total sacrifice of your offense. I mean, you can have these great defensive players and they come in as a defensive replacement late in games and they stay in and maybe they get you a hit or two or they save your run or something of that nature. Like, you know, I get that. But, you know, you need to be able to get some some production at the bottom of the order. You need Ben Intended to start hitting. I, you just do. I mean, he he's a guy that 
listen, you understand that he's hit well. You understand there's going to be a period of adjustment going to a new team. You get it. And hopefully he'll start hitting. And I do think sometimes that being away is the best way. Sometimes for new players to, you know, bond with their new teammates and get comfortable. I mean, for him, it doesn't matter. He's living in a hotel anyway. (laughs) So, you know, at least this way, everybody's at the hotel. So it's a little easier. So I do think, but I do think he'll start hitting. I think, as I mentioned, Donaldson will start hitting. I mean, he started the night at 222. I mean, oof. IKF is actually at 275. It's not bad at short. Now, Trevino's been the one. Trevino has been the guy that's really been the surprise. I mean, you thought Higashioka was going to be your starting catcher and Trevino was going to be the guy to give him a break, but Trevino has played well. Made the all-star squad. So once again, him at the bottom of the order has helped you out. I don't know what to tell you about Hicks. I just don't. He has, he continues to struggle. And he's gone through a stretch now where he's not even walking. So he's not even reaching base. I mean, he's had a couple of big hits for you. Obviously against Houston, they had the big hit. So he's had, he's come up in some spots. But once again, you need the bottom of the order to be better. If you're going to make noise in the postseason, you can't just continue to rely on the top of your order and judge and, and, you know, LeMahieu and judge. I mean, it's to the point you got Matt Carpenter. Listen, it's strange to say, because once again, the Yankees are only 34 games over 500. (laughs) Only 34 games over 500. And that's with playing about 500 ball over the past month. And it's still just 34 games over 500, which means they've had a really good regular season. But as you go through the struggles, it allows you to reevaluate and have to be honest with yourself about what's going on with this talent on this team. And yet you've got some issues at the starting rotation. You do because you've got injuries. You're not sure your ace is struggling a little bit. Although I think he'll be right and he'll pick up and as he goes towards the postseason, he'll be better. You got a new number two pitcher coming in. You got uh, another starter on the IL. And you've gotten, you know, Nestor Cortez and Jameson Tyon, who you're looking at his innings limits. Cortez struggled. He's been better his last couple of starts. Tyon struggled and still struggling. And you look to the bullpen, you're starting to you know, see some things where you've added a bunch of depth to the bullpen, so you'll be okay there. You'll figure out who's going to be in the circle of trust, who's not in the circle of trust, and you'll just go on from there. I think the key thing is for for the Yankees, if you got to get Loisega and Chapman back, because I'm not sure what's going on with Holmes. I don't know whether Holmes is just hitting a slump. You know, hit pitchers hit slumps like hitters do. So I don't know if he's just hit a slump or he's just struggling or what it is. But I do think it would be nice if you had Chapman going to have somebody who's experienced as a closer in big games, even though the outcome has not always been what you wanted. But he's been there. He's won a World Series. He knows what it takes to do that. I think it would be nice if you had him ready and available and confident 
in the scenario of being a backup just in case Holmes is not well. Holmes is not the pitching the way he did. Or if you needed somebody to get a lefty out. And once again, as I mentioned, I think, you know, Lewisica has shown that he's making his way back. And that's important. Because in the postseason, the depth of your bullpen is, it's huge. And the versatility of those relievers are huge. Because of the fact that sometimes your starter goes five. And then you got to figure out how I'm going to get these next 12, 15 outs. What am I going to do? So you need your bullpen. So I think the Yankees' bullpen is okay. Their concern right now is what call are we getting in the postseason? What's our starting rotation look like in the postseason? And can we find a way to lengthen our lineup where the bottom of our lineup gets a little hot? If they answer those things, I think they'll have a really good shot at getting to the ALCS where I believe they will face Houston again. I'm not going to predict what's going to happen there. I'll just, listen, hopefully you get there, right? That's your job. Hopefully you find a way to get there. We'll continue the conversation next on 98.7 ESPN. I got to tell you, and I will readily admit, and once again, it's only been one game, and I know I've had spoken to a, with a lot of people who have echoed quietly that they agree with me about the fact that they expected the Mets to do a little something extra in their postseason, right, in their trade deadline. Now, once again, it, 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 it's too late to cry about it. The team's already, it's already done. You just hope that everything, the way it happens, goes forward the way you hope it does. And for one night last night for the Mets, it did. The players performed. All right? They performed. And so that's what it's all about. And once again, for the Mets, even more so than the Yankees, it's about winning the division But once again, what are you going to do in the postseason? Because this is a Met team with a new owner who has made it clear that his mandate is to get to the World Series within the next three to four years. And he has put out the money. And yes, he's done a a fantastic job of putting the type of players that you want together on the field before the deadline. And the deadline for them, the philosophy was, listen, Obviously, there was certain players they didn't want to give up in the in the in the minor leagues. You know, it depends on who it is. But nevertheless, they have their you know, they have people that are untouchable. They have people that they feel are going to be really really good. They have people they feel that can make immediate contributions. They have people they feel that will not make immediate contributions, but they want to hang around or maybe they will use them in a different trade scenario. But for me, when I heard the players that were available. And you didn't get any of them. Okay. It's kind of hard pill to swallow. I'm spoiled now. I readily admit I'm spoiled now. Because I had an owner that let the general manager go out and sign a guy in Max Scherzer for 40 plus mil. So I'm thinking, well, listen, I can get anybody I want now. (laughs) I'm spoiled. I want everybody. 
I want them all on this team. And so it was a little disheartening for you not to get any. Now, what they did do is they were able to add some versatility to the team. And it is going to be interesting to see how players who previously got playing time, who will have their playing time cut back, how will you answer that? How will you try to earn your playing time back? How will you try to find ways to produce so you can get back into the lineup? One of those is Mr. Escobar, who has been sitting on the bench because Guillaume has been hitting all season. He's been a consistent hitter who has done a nice job, does a nice job in the field. Excuse me. And so Escobar now is sitting on the bench, second game. Kana, who's been really your everyday left fielder, sitting on the bench, second game because of Nyquin. So while it gives you versatility, right, and while it gives you the ability to rest players and move players around, as Buck Showalter mentioned today before the, before the game and speaking to the media, it's the players. How do the players respond who have had the playing time and now are sitting? And coaches love those situations. And they will tell you. They love the competition. They love to see how players respond, especially veterans. How do you respond in this? How, what are you going to do to get your playing time back? And it's very simple. You have to prepare and be ready because you don't know when that time is going to come. You're not sure. So you have to be mentally prepared. You've got to be physically prepared. You have to go through your, your routine the way you always do, even if you were starting. And it's hard to do because mentally, you know, you're not, <laughs> you know, you're not starting, you know, you're not playing tonight. They had a picture of Escobar in the dugout and he looked like he lost his best friend because it's Atlanta. It's the team that's chasing you and you want to be out there. You want to be, you want to play. And he's had an up and down season. He's been a streaky hitter. But he's had some big hits. But right now, he's sitting and he's watching. And it's not fun. And so now, some players get distracted. Some players lose their focus. And if the team continues to win and you're not playing, then you have, what are you going to say? <laughs> Well, you know, if I was in there, they'd be doing, you know, they're still winning. They have to be the good teammate. So it's always interesting to see how players respond to that. And that's not adversity because you always wonder how players respond to adversity, but you still, it's still interesting to see how these players are going to, how they're going to respond. And will they be ready to go when the numbers call? Now, clearly, both of them, I would think, will get a chance to play tomorrow because you've got a doubleheader. So I think they'll get a chance to play tomorrow and maybe Sunday. So that's going to be the interesting thing. The other interesting thing, and I'm not sure that they haven't said who's going to start which game. But you know, tomorrow's Max Scherzer and David Peterson and Sunday is Jacob DeGrom Sunday night on the ESPN Sunday Night Baseball. 
Now, Max Scherzer was not Max Scherzer his last outing. I'm sure Max Scherzer will be Max Scherzer this out. David Peterson is a guy who has pitched well in spots. He was a guy who earlier in the season did not have a was not consistently going five. He had trouble going five innings. He would get to four. He get to four in the third. He, he just couldn't get. To, he couldn't complete five. And then he had a couple of starts where he got into the sixth and the seventh. And so you like that. And so in a doubleheader situation, a guy who's had six days at least, six days rest where he hasn't pitched, you're a little concerned because you wonder what his control is going to be. Will he have, you know, will he have velocity? He could be too strong, inability to regulate speeds and everything. So you, you wonder what David Peterson you're going to get. And of course, Sunday night, you're just ecstatic to see what Jacob deGrom is going to look like in his second start, right? You're happy because as I was doing the day after his inaugural start on Tuesday, Wednesday morning, you're looking like, is Jake, is Jake okay? I'm okay. Is everything okay? So you're looking, you're waiting to, you're waiting for the ESPN crawl. You're waiting for the banana on your phone to see if there's any setbacks with DeGrom. No setbacks, said he felt great. So now he gets a chance to show Sunday night baseball against Atlanta. He was very good his first outing. Gave you five innings. It was supposed to be five innings or 75 pitches. He gave you five innings and 53, 54 pitches. Struck out six guys. All right, that's, that's Jacob DeGrom. Like that's, that's what you want to see. So what will he look like in the rematch, his second outing against Atlanta? That's what, you, that's what you're looking forward to. And then you can start to, if he puts a string of, of uh, performances together where you're able to now say, okay, I think I, can, I think I can depend on him to be in the rotation. And they may make some adjustments. He may skip a start or they may go to a six-man for a week or something of that nature where you give him an extra day's rest or something like that, which would be understandable. Because you want to take care of him. You want to make sure he doesn't hurt himself. Because once again, it's about the postseason. You you know that you're a little different from the Yankees. In the sense that the Yankees are 11, 12 game lead in their division. They would have to go on a really, really crazy losing streak for anybody else to dethrone them right now. The Mets in Atlanta, Atlanta's going to be hanging around for a minute, I believe. So it's not only for the Mets about keeping their distance and holding on to first place, holding off Atlanta, but once again, it's about setting up and getting ready for the postseason. And personally for me, as I've said, it's also about, hey, listen, we had a 10-and-a-half game lead. You don't want to end up out of first place after having a lead where you played so well. You, you don't want that. You want to be able to bring it home. Hey, we stuck it out. Yeah, we had some down times. Yeah, we had some, some streaks where we struggled a little bit, but we never gave up first place. We never lost it to Atlanta, and we're ready to go. Let's go into the postseason. I think that would be great for their momentum. I think that would be great for their confidence. It would be just great. And for me as a Met fan, it would be outstanding. 
And then you get ready for the postseason. And listen, on that horizon, somebody's going to have to face San Diego and what they have brought to the table. And Juan Soto and Josh Bell and company, with that team who also added a reliever, That's not a team I'm looking forward to facing in the postseason. Okay. Although, if I've got DeGrom and Scherzer in good shape, I'll take that challenge. I'll take that challenge. That's why it is so important for the Mets to try to keep them both healthy. Because that's what you sign up for, right? That was your vision. When you found out that Steve Cohen spent the money and brought Max Scherzer here for a couple of years, you just relished in the idea of DeGrom and Scherzer, two aces on the same team. You go into a short series. You go into a five-game series. You go into a seven-game series. And you can set up your rotation that you could pitch Scherzer and DeGrom twice in the series. I mean, it doesn't get much better. (laughs) It doesn't get much better than that. It does not. That's what you love to see. That, as a Met fan, puts a smile on your face. And you're looking forward to seeing that. And you haven't seen it until this week and tomorrow and Sunday. You get to see it against your arch rival, Atlanta. This is ESPN New York Tonight with Larry Hardesty and Gordon Damer on 98.7 ESPN.